This is a HeadGum Podcast. I am honestly super excited to announce the return of one of the all-time great comedy podcasts and one of my all-time favorite comedy podcasts, The Thrilling Adventure Hour. That's right, it's back. If you missed The Thrilling Adventure Hour the first time around, here's a quick summary. It's a scripted podcast in the style of old-time radio that features unforgettable characters, Broadway-worthy songs, and some of the podcast world's funniest comedians and improvisers. And now, like I said, it's back. And I, I am super excited when it started. It was one of my favorite shows, and the live show that I saw whenever I was touring was one of the funniest experiences of my life. That's legit. So, produced by the Forever Dog Podcast Network, the Thrilling Adventure Hour Treasury revives all the classic characters and cast members from the original series, including Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, played by Mark Evan Jackson from The Good Place, Frank and Sadie Doyle, those fast-talking, hard-drinking married mediums, played by Patrick Brewster and Paul F. Tompkins, my favorite one, and Colonel TikTok, the time-traveling defender of historical continuity, played by Drunk History's Craig Kikowski. I feel like I should say it in, like, an old-time <laughs> Plus, the Thrilling Adventure Hour Treasury features new storylines by an incredible collection of writers from the world of television and comics, new special guests, and bold new sound. Uh, That wasn't very good. Uh, They're good at it, I promise. So, subscribe to the Thrilling Adventure Hour Treasury wherever you listen to podcasts for one brand new episode every month, as well as a classic live episode from The Vault. And if you want even more of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com slash thrillingadventurehour for exclusive access to their entire back catalog, complete libraries of classic segments, bonus content, merch discounts, and more. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, we invite a comedian on to play and discuss one of their jokes. And we did it. Here it is. It is our season finale of season five of A Good One, a podcast about jokes. Thank you for listening to what I think is our strongest batch of episodes yet. I created this show hoping to expand people's understanding of comedians and comedy. Comedy is not one thing. No, it's a collection of distinct artists all searching for their own way, to paraphrase the Gary Goldman episode, to be themselves on purpose. But, you know, in a funny way. And I, and I hope I, I, I made uh, that clear. Uh, so this episode's guest is no different. How does someone become the biggest stand-up comedian in the world? Maybe ever. On a technical level, how do you write jokes when you know they're going to be told in front of arenas all over the world? What sort of comedian even aspires to as much? These were questions on my mind when I sat down to interview today's guest, Kevin Hart, for the release of his six-hour special, Irresponsible, which he filmed late last year at London's O2 Arena and comes out on Netflix on April 2nd. We use the opener from that hour as a jumping-off point to get into exactly where Kevin Hart is right now as a comedian and a public figure and where he's going. I should note the interview was conducted on location in Atlanta in Kevin's trailer on the set of the Jumanji sequel. So as we'll hear, a couple times during the interview, his wife and two eldest kids come in. There was this one moment where Kevin was talking about what it was like to talk to his daughter about certain events from the past couple of years. But what he didn't know was she was standing right behind him listening. And it was like legitimately super powerful. And I tried not to give off in my face that uh, someone was standing right behind him. It was like that sitcom trope where you're like, oh, they're standing right behind me. Uh, When that point comes, picture all that happening. So, here is Kevin Hart. I ask y'all one more time. Y'all better make some fucking noise one time.
Welcome. Welcome to the Irresponsible Tour. Um, we're about to have a good time. Uh, the name is Irresponsible for a lot of reasons. We'll get into all those reasons as the show goes on. I don't really like to waste time. I feel like while I'm out here, we might as well just get to the shit. Let's just, let's just get to the shit, okay? Let's talk about my first irresponsible move this year. My, uh, my first irresponsible move this year actually involves my kids. My kids caught me and my wife fucking. Let, let's, let's, just start, let's just start here. There's no real way to ease into it, so I just gotta go for it, okay? Both kids, both kids caught us fucking. If it was one, it wouldn't have been that bad, but it was both. My son saw us first. I saw him when he saw us, because he called his sister. He was like, come here, hurry up, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. The crazy thing is, I couldn't even get mad. I couldn't get mad at him because they came in my room based off of a rule that I put in place. I don't like locked doors in my house. Don't lock your goddamn door. I think the worst thing in the world for a parent is to not be able to get in his child's room when he wants to. Don't lock your goddamn door, especially my daughter. I told her, I said, you lock that door again, I promise you, I'm gonna kick the door down. Don't lock that goddamn door again. I go to get in my daughter's room, the door locked. I said, what I said I was gonna do? Then I said I was gonna kick that door down. She said, wait, I'm almost finished. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. In my mind, I thought the worst. In my mind, she was cooking cocaine. That, that's what I believe. She's gotta be. You know why? You know why I thought the worst? I thought the worst because I know what I was doing as a child whenever I was in my room and my door was closed. Whenever I was in my room and my door was closed, I was always doing the worst shit possible on the other side of that goddamn door. Every time my mom bust in my room, true story people, my dick was always in my hand. Swear to God, every time. What you doing, boy? One time she came in my room, I had my dick in this hand, and I had matches in this hand. I don't know what was about to happen, but she got there right on time. I told her it was about to be a hot dick in this bathroom. I was going to set this dick on fire. <laughs> ah! <laughs> the worst thing about my kids catching us having sex is that we were having sex in positions that you couldn't play off. You know, there's some sexual positions that you could play off. There's a lot of couples here tonight. I see you with your lady, sir. If you and your lady having sex, and your lady laying on the side, and your kids come busting the room, you can play that off. All you gotta do is sit up, act like you're watching TV. Hey, hey, hey! Get the fuck out of here. Don't come back in here until we're done watching TV. If you're real good, and you got your bottom half covered up, when you sit up, you can technically keep fucking while you're talking. Hey, hey, hey! Get, get your ass out the goddamn room. <laughs> Don't come in the goddamn room. Your lady be trying to talk, don't come in here. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the show. You can play it off. Missionary, you can play that off. You and your lady having sex in a missionary position and your kids come bust in the room, all you gotta do is fall down and collapse on your lady. <laughs> Make it look like you sleep. Kids are stupid, they'll believe it. Doggy style is tough, that's a tough one. Ass naked doggy style in the middle of the bed, that's, that's tough to play off, you caught. Like what, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Oh shit. <laughs> you got one move, <laughs> you got one move. 
You got to make it look like you're playing American football. You just got to Get your ass out of here. We're going over football plays. Get out of here. We're playing against a couple from down the street this week. Get your ass up out of here. My biggest fear was I didn't want my kids to try to talk to me about what they saw. Please, God, don't let my kids talk to me about the shit that they saw. I'm a firm believer in letting information float in the air and disappear. I don't like to talk about it. Let it float in the air and disappear. I go downstairs in the kitchen. I see my son in the kitchen. My son gave me a look that said that he wanted to ask me about what he just saw. I gave him a look back that said, don't you fucking ask me about nothing that you just saw. And I knew, I knew he wasn't really going to try to ask me because he got in trouble in school earlier that week. I had to take my son's phone from him, which is the worst thing that you can do to a child. So I'm here with the comedian behind the joke you just heard, Kevin Hart. Thank you for being here. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. So we're going to talk about this joke, but especially since this is the opener of the special where you sort of set up what the tour and the hour is about. And because you're a forward forward thinker, I wanted to back up a second to your last special, What Now?, which Mm -hmm. you filmed in August 2015 at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, becoming the first stand-up to sell out an NFL stadium. Then you released the special in October 2016 with Universal, but it was your third straight concert film that you released yourself. I know you were talking about the goal at the time was to break Eddie Murphy's record and hopefully gross over $100 million, and that didn't necessarily end up happening. So sort of... (laughs) That's now all out there. It's October 2016, November 2016. Do you already know what you want from your next special in terms of theme, title, what you want to look like, where it'll be, how you release it? In in general, sort of what is your first step in sort of conceiving a thing like this? Well, when you talk about first steps, I mean, you got to understand the mind of a a comedian. You know, I think... um, the the public, you know, perceives the the mind of a comedian to be one thing, um, but the reality behind how things actually come to mm-hmm. um, is is so random sure. and spontaneous. You know, it's almost like spark plugs. So, you know, from the the quick thought mm-hmm. with within uh, a day. Of mm-hmm. doing something can spark plug yeah. the the possibility for a joke to be born. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, when talking about how this came about, it really was from me and my wife. We were we were having a session, and I forgot that my kids got home from school early, so the dads were were called out, but. With a tone that was like, it was like a, a mischievous tone sure. behind it, like dad. And I was like, oh wait, oh no, hold <laughs> on. Oh, and then my wife was like, you think they heard us? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't. What time is it? And we looked at the clock, and I was like, shit, it's Friday. They got home early. Mm-hmm. And she was like, they definitely heard us. You know, we was loud. So you know, when when I say yo. My son just came in the room and I was mm-hmm. like, wait, boy, wait. And it was like the scramble, yeah. <laughs> the scramble, because, you know, when you when you when you stop in the middle of a session because you think you heard something, you don't just you don't just stop. You just pause in whatever moment you're in and discuss. Uh, so the joke came from us just having the conversation. But we were in like 
a missionary position. I just remember when my son came in, I just fell down on my wife. And that's that's yeah. where the joke was born. Yeah. That was the first step within the joke. So the the conversations after that, within me talking to my guys, you know, I got I got two guys that that have been with me for the longest time and uh, that have been a part of my comedy career. And I've given them the title as writers, but they're more of they're they're more of listeners mm-hmm. and and understanders. You know, they they understand me. They understand my humor. So when I have these crazy thoughts, we talk about them, and then the randomness that comes from those conversations, it's unbelievable. And I think it's such a blessing to have people that truly know yeah. your style of humor because my my way of writing is just like I just told you, spark plug. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, here's a thought. Oh, shit. I'm on the phone. Y'all jump on the phone. This could be funny. Yeah. What, Kev? Hey, look, today, me and, me and Nico was getting down. The kids got home early. We ain't hear him. He popped in the room. I just laid down in missionary position. But it was so scary because we didn't know what he saw or what he yeah. didn't. But the playoff was so smooth. <laughs> and and I was like, the joke is just about playing off. yeah. yeah what this actual act is. And they was like, the playoff, we just start going back and yeah. forth on the playoff. Oh, so you 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 gonna play off what positions? That, that's our yeah. conversation. So you're, just, so you're just riffing on that. I remember my friend Harry going, oh, you can't play off the washing machine. And we were like, what the fuck is the washing machine? He said, oh, you know, that's when you, that's when you hitting your lady standing up, but you going around in circles. I call that the washing machine. So we just start throwing out yeah. random names for sex shit, but it's literally just a conversation. So, the, and is that happening right after it happens? Like, oh, this is, I'm, li- you know, you're living your life and you're like, like the, it's like that night. Yeah. Yeah. We're so you know, like, oh, night. there might be something here. We're talking about it that night. <laughs> and I'm like, there's gold. Like, I know, I know when I strike the gold. So the gold is just flushed out over a long period yeah, of time. Yeah. But the joke was so long in the beginning. Yeah. I could, I, I was, I was going to wonder about that because it seems like there's so many parts. So I'm like, oh, there, you could, especially live and go. So like long. A, yeah. You know, the, the craziness about, about these jokes and, you know, what comedians should tell you is that the hardest thing is for a joke to end. Yeah. What is your what is your punchline? What are we getting to? What's the what's the end game? Mm-hmm. The conversation starter is amazing. Oh my god! In the middle, they're still here. They're still laughing. How do I end a joke without going? That's crazy. <laughs> it's like so. How that do you was a weird how do you yeah, yeah. end the joke without the weird abrupt stop? Yeah. Of man. Yeah, that's how it is sometimes. So I, I, what I notice, especially as you've gone on, you'll transition without letting people know that you're transitioning yeah. down to another joke. So this joke sort of like you have the sort of uh, face off with your son mm-hmm. and then he, you're like, don't say anything. And then you're immediately like, and this is why, because and then you're like, oh, wait, this is another joke. Already. Exactly. And, it, and you've tricked the audience. Exactly. Realizing Segways are the most important part of comedy. You know, um, I think as you grow, your 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 biggest your biggest understanding of the craft is how to keep an audience intrigued without forcing every moment. Mm -hmm. The best way to keep you intrigued is to make you a part of the story. You know, you're in my house. Yeah. You're in my environment. This is, I've let you in. There's a couple different ways you can play it off. Some positions you can play off. Now the audience should be thinking like what, what what position, what positions you, you should be answering my out loud comments. Yeah. 
with just thoughts in your head. It's, what yeah. fucking position are you talking about, Kevin? It's Jerry Seinfeld says it's you're having conversation with them, but they're just not talking. They're just not talking. Yeah. But I'm I'm literally talking to you. So when you have you have that conversation and then sort of what is your next step? You're like, oh, I need to make this into material. I've heard you say you'll like book, let's say, a week in New York and you'll mm-hmm. do a lot. Is that what you sort of did here? Really? Well, it had to go with something. Mm-hmm. That's just one piece. Yeah. So that was a piece that actually came very early on within the development of my standup. Yeah. So when you get these funny things, these funny moments, the trick is these are separate. Yeah. They don't go together. I got to mm-hmm. fill in the, the space. What else goes with the sexual act mm-hmm. that's not flagrant, being caught, having my kids involved? Not getting too disgusting or dirty, but then being able to go back to my kids. This whole thing is about my kids and them growing up and the individuals that they're becoming. My household, what my household now is. These are the are the bullet points. So when you got bullet points, you now have an understanding of where you want to go. Yeah. Without without a a, a structure, you got no building. Yeah. So so beforehand you'll be like, okay, so we have this. Oh, we have the thing about locking doors to mm-hmm. set up the daughter stuff. Mm-hmm. We have the phone thing. Mm-hmm. All that, all that came after. Yeah, yeah. So you were just trying different things to glue. What did well, you invent? Well, I'm go adding off? on. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this here was about okay. How in my household there's rules that I have, and and my one rule is don't lock your goddamn doors. That's the worst thing in the world for a father. The reason why is because. I know what I did as a child. Now we're back into my childhood. Yeah. This is me as a child. I didn't, I know what happened when, when I fucking was a kid. The things I did behind a locked door shouldn't even be discussed. Now you're into Kevin's nasty moment. Yeah, yeah. So automatically I assume my kids are going to follow suit. Now we're into my daughter and what I caught my daughter doing. Nothing remotely close mm-hmm. to what I was doing, but I'm assuming that it was. Yeah. The joke is in me talking about my past my disgusting things and what I'm assuming that's going to be yours because my blood is in you. Sure. Now, after that, the one time that my kids actually did fucking my rules backfired on me mm-hmm. was when the reason why I backfired is because yeah. now we're in a story. So all I'm doing to, if you notice when, whenever I'm in stand up, I figured out how to tell one long story. Yeah. And at some points within the story, my audience is like, fuck, that was hour 15. It felt like we've been here for 17 minutes. That's the beauty of stand up. That's the beauty of evolvement. That's the beauty of, of, of the craft when done right. Yeah. You want that wave. You want it to be, that's the feeling that you're sort of looking for. 100%. You mentioned a little bit, but you, you, you have sort of your two writers that you credit, Harry mm-hmm. Ratchford and Joey Wells. So can you talk about how, when you start putting it on its feet in a club, how do you sort of shape it? How do you get it to what it's closer to where you can start taking it on the road? Uh, of course. I mean, look, the best way to shape and mold a joke is through conversation on stage. Yeah. So when you're on stage and you're talking things out, you're starting to pick in and choose the responses that you want to hold on to. Because you're going to get laughter. You're going to get chuckles. You're going to get, oh, ah, mm. You're going to get a bunch of different things. And when you get those things, it's your job to fill out the best places that you want to basically say 
these should move on to the next stage. Um, the benefit of me having Harry Ratchford and Joey Wells is while I'm on stage, they're taking notes as to what's working. Mm. Like I said, I don't sit down with a pen and a pad and physically write down everything. I just, that's not my style. So it's, it's basically like having a voice recorder without having a voice recorder, yeah. except we do it in bullet points. So now, because I'm doing multiple shows within a week or whatever, because I like to cram stuff in and take advantage of just me being in a good thinking space before I go on stage what they give me is the bullet point list alright Kev here you said this alright you were talking about you know getting caught uh, by your kids what worked was when you went to the doggy style and you mm. said uh, you know the best way to play that off is to act like you playing football and I got a big laugh why don't you try to play with that more alright now hey Kev you know what might be funny throw a hut hut in there that'll come from one of my guys sure. oh dope I throw it in there like yeah. it's it's the creativity based on what they're hearing me say and we're just expanding on it so the comedy club that's my gym you know that's where that's where I'm basically taking a thousand jump shots I'm, I'm shooting a thousand free throws and then I'm at the three point line except it's from a comedy's perspective I'm just doing jokes and I'm doing it in repetition so um, when you are doing multiple shows which is the benefit of being at a comedy club for a weekend rather than going on stage one time I do 10 shows from Wednesday through Sunday yeah, yeah I'm doing an hour on stage but the goal is for me to say I got 20 minutes yeah. from that hour that I want to hold on to. Now, when I come back to do another comedy club, I'm not talking about the extra stuff that was within that hour. I'm starting on that 20 minutes. And then after that 20 minutes, then I'm talking and I'm expanding and I'm and freestyling yeah, yeah. and I'm seeing what else can be, what else can, can, can basically be developed based on this amazing 20 minutes that I feel really good about. And the only reason why I feel really good about the 20 minutes is not just because of the audience responses, but because of me and my guys, our conversation about it and them knowing me and knowing, nah, Kev, you got better than that. Yeah, I was wondering because, you know, a, a comedian is basing it based on how the audience responds. But as you get bigger, it's harder because you're getting first, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's like, oh, the first five minutes, they're laughing just because you're just getting plotting because you're there. And but even when you're doing it, it's hard because they're just happy to see Kevin Hart such a small venue. Mm -hmm. Are you doing anything to try to make sure the jokes are standing on their own? I mean, the most extreme example is Chris Rock is known to sort of I've seen him bomb for 90 minutes just mm -hmm. to see. Are you doing anything like that to make sure you can really trust? I don't I don't care what you say. You don't bomb on purpose. Yeah. You know, uh, when Chris goes on stage, I don't want, you know, people to misconstrue no. uh, Chris going on stage and not getting laughs is Chris doing it on purpose. No. He's trying to figure it out. Yes. Nothing is intentional. I don't go on stage with the purpose of, man, I'm going to go up here and fucking stink it up today. <laughs> yeah. um, you're you're on stage in, uh, in an environment that you're most comfortable in. The intimacy that you get from a comedy club is amazing. You know, that, that small room, laughter bounces off those walls. When you are a person that has a... Uh, a record of telling amazing jokes or you have a high level of success behind you, you're going to get a, you're going, you got a cheat sheet. Yeah, yeah. 
you're standing on stage and you already have an advantage because they love you. So yeah. don't you, laugh at the cadence. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be willing to work past the immediate love and know what's what's enhanced. Yeah, what's a real versus what's, what's yeah. good. And that's where I think for me having a real team around me that's not afraid to go that shit ass. <laughs> Hey, look, man, I know you think that that joke is golden, but uh, I think you got better than that. Yeah. Or, yeah, look, man, that's your third shit joke within the 20 the minute frame. You you talking about boogies now, Kev? That's what you're talking about? You can't do better than that? Mm-hmm. Is that a white people versus black people <laughs> moment that you don't? What are you doing now? Like it's you you have to be challenged because you yeah. can get comfortable. By just thinking like, oh, man, I got it again. Look yeah. at me. Because people are giving you the courtesy laughter. Um, the hardest thing is progression. The hardest thing is is constant growth in stand-up comedy. Because everybody is always going to say the same thing about any comedian. Man, they were funnier when they first started. <laughs> yeah, Man, he as they got older, the shit got ass. <laughs> You know, you don't hear, you know, name name the comedian that people talk about today that that they talk about their later specials just like they talk about the the ones in the beginning. To maintain relevancy and stand-up comedy for years is a hard thing yeah, to do. Hard. It's a fucking hard thing to do. To constantly recreate yourself and give an hour of material year after year, that is a fucking hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. For musicians to pop out new albums and give you new versions and levels of themselves, that's a hard thing to do. So for the ones that do it at a level that's considered the, the highest of the high and they constantly deliver, you, you're, you're only open to criticism yeah. at that point. This is a very small question. So you say goddamn door and one time you say goddamn door down. Mm-hmm. Are, at some point, you're like noticing, like, oh, I wrote alliteration into that joke. It's like, is uh, anyone ever being like, or it's like, oh, that sounds funny, and it sounds funny because those it, D sounds. It's understanding. It's understanding your hot words. Yeah. Goddamn. Damn. Shit. <laughs> Bitch. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. There's certain things that I can run on. Yeah. There's certain things that, no matter how delivered, can come off funny. I can talk in a very a uh, vulgar tone and it's never going to be taken as a vulgar tone because of the way that I present it. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I'm, when I'm saying the word fuck, the way it's being presented is in a pleasant way. And I know that sounds a little crazy because you're using words. Hey man, look what the fuck's going on here. Hey man, fuck that. Look, Hey, Hey, fuck you, man. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a pleasant tone behind it and when you realize that you have that ability it allows you to play around more the centerpiece and where it started from is sort of different sexual positions and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big act out and knowing that you're gonna be playing to big spaces where it's good to have more physical moments how do you how do you approach when you're thinking of your material to how to make sure it works for thousands of people i mean the best way to make sure the material works for thousands of people is to make sure that it's universal mm-hmm to make sure that it's something that everyone can relate to. And, you know, you only separate people when you talk about the differences between people. You know, you alienate a group of people that may not understand. So the one thing that I personally know that everybody relates to, you relate to kids. Mm-hmm. You relate to growing up. 
You relate to parenting. You relate to uh, marriage. You relate to divorce. You relate to turmoil. You relate to fear. You relate to um, superstition. You relate to, you know, psychological warfare. Um, you, you can, those are things that everybody pretty much goes through, you know, you, you relate to the growth of an individual, you know, hobbies, new things. These are all things that are so simplistic, but yet so profound to so many. When you think about guys like Jerry Seinfeld and you really think about the brilliance behind an individual like that, his, his brilliance comes from a place to where he talks about the smallest of the small. Why is the coffee cup lid so tight? Refrigerator door handles. Are we over them? <laughs> Why are they changing? Yeah. Why are the controls on a on a remote control so thin? Like, do are our thumbs not good enough? Like he's yeah. he's a guy that takes the smallest of the small and analyzes it. That shows you the clever side of him. I talk about me. Yeah. So, you know, when you see jokes like this that were breaking down, that wrap up my world in such a quick, mm -hmm. such a quick story. You're seeing me, my wife, my kids, you're seeing me trying to, to talk about discipline, but not knowing how to, to do it and deliver it uh, correctly. So doing it in a way that I think I should based off of what I used to do and how my mom saw me. I need to look at my kids the same. Oh, shit, they're not. <laughs> Fuck it. I got good kids, man. Like you're, you're seeing me talk about so much so fast, but it's coming from the perspective that nobody can argue. It's mine. Is that why it's the first joke of this special? Because it sets up your world? world? It's, the it's, the, it's the icebreaker. Yeah. You know, when you talk about these things, when you talk about, um, you know, uh, the, the personal side of your presentation, I think you talk about longevity. Yeah. You, I'm never going to stop living. I mean, unless I die. Sure. God forbid, knock on... Knock, well, that ain't wood. Here you go. Nah, that ain't wood either. I got yeah, but it looks more like myself to knock on some wood. But get, when I get out of here, guys, what's this right here? All right, there you go. Uh, I'm looking forward to living more. Yeah. I'm looking forward to my kids becoming young adults and having kids and me being a grandpa. I'm looking forward to talking about been married for a sad amount of time now. And this is the man that I've now been molded into. I'm looking forward to talk about, hey, man, me and my guys don't really do shit anymore. You know, there's 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 a new challenge that I have. And I put this pressure on myself after every special because I constantly raise the bar on myself. What's the next level of creation of me? I mean, this one's shot in London. So as a result, the joke that was football becomes American football. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially at this point in your career where. Not only are you touring internationally, but you're used to shooting movies where you're trying to take comedy overseas, which is a complicated mm -hmm. thing. I guess sort of the question I was wondering is, for you, is the best version of the joke the one that most people laugh at? Sort of like the, when you're having a joke, it's like the most people, if the most people laugh at it, that means it is better. Mm -hmm. Or is there some other ground where there are people that you're fine covering? You know what I, I think, mean? I think I want everyone to laugh at it. So, you know, the goal is... To present it in a way that everybody will laugh. Here in the States, when I say American football, we all are familiar with American football. But when I say American football to the rest of the globe that relates 
football to soccer, they clearly understand and now know how to visually see that mm-hmm. joke. Um, I'm not a comedian that's performing for just the States. I'm performing for the globe. Some storytellers will give moments where it's clear that they think what they're doing is wrong, right? They'll be like, uh, the example I think of often is comedian Mike Rubiglia will say stuff like, well, I know I'm in the future also as if to judge who he was. But you sort of like let the thing stand. Mm-hmm. Why Why is that your style? Why do you prefer sort of let the story stand and have the audience sort of... If you're not true to yourself, then who are you yeah. true to? What I'm learning uh, as I get older is that you're never going to be done figuring it out. I'm about to be 40. At the age 40, I am still learning and figuring it out. I also learned that you're never going to be able to please everybody. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So when you had that understanding and you realize that from growth of trying to please everyone, you get to a point where you say, I'm going to do my best. And if those that aren't happy aren't, hopefully in the future they will become happier with me and my craft and my talent. But I can't, I can't be a pendulum. I can't go back and forth. I can only realize that you're ever a work in progress. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's that's coming from like the most humble place. It's the most humble place ever. Like to realize that. Not perfect. You're never going to be perfect, but that's why I like to put it all out there on stage. Public speaking and personality is where I thrive. But on paper, I'm fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I done did some shit in this in this life of mine. Uh, and the reason why I want to make light of it is because it's basically my way of saying, "Hey guys, I'm human. Yeah, you grow." This joke does something that I think you. Very often how you start your specials, which is you always have self-deprecation, but Mm -hmm. I think as you get bigger, you sort of have to start with a joke that lowers you down. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like contrast high status, low status. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, uh, Sinbad has a saying where comedians are always funnier when they take the bus. But, Mm -hmm. you know, how deliberate, how is that where you're like, though you're all here to see me, I'm just like you do want to try to set that. Shock factor. Yeah. You got to You got to start it off by making people drop their shoulders. I love using that phrase. Anything that you do in life, when your shoulders are up and they're tight, you're uncomfortable. You can think about so many different things. You shoot a jump shot incorrectly, loosen up. Loosen your shoulders up. Relax. You're boxing. You're throwing punches stiff. Hey, relax. Drop your shoulders. You're giving a speech and you're on a podium and you fucking, you're sweating. Relax. Put your shoulders down for a second. And anything you do, your shoulders tell a lot about your mood and how you feel. Mm-hmm. You know? When you make an audience drop their shoulders, they relax. The best way to drop your shoulders is for me to show you that I'm not perfect. So now you're laughing. You're laughing with me at me. But you're also realizing I'm not far off from what he's talking about myself. I share a lot of these same things. Damn, I'm I'm in that same boat. And that's the crazy thing. Do you know how many people are actually in the same boat? How many How many of us are actually literally experiencing the same shit? That's what makes me laugh so much about, you know, the divorce and, and the divorce stories or, you know, talking about kids. You know, people 
act shocked, but it's the one thing <laughs> that everybody yeah. goes through. It's the one thing that everybody has. Single homes with uh, no dad, only a mother, mother and dad. My mom and dad are divorced. Been divorced for a set amount of years. My dad's got another woman now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. My mom's got another man. We had two separate households. Kids got two different. Cri- Do you know how many people in the world yeah. are living that life? I mean, that's that's exactly to you. These specific things seem small, but they are actually more universal. When we so universal. It's like talking about pants. Everybody yeah. wear pants. Now, Whether you like it like, or not, we all got to wear them. But if you talk about pants a certain way, whoa, what are you always talking about pants for? Because yeah. everybody wears pants. <laughs> what I like about this joke, uh, there's such a vulnerability in like the act itself is here. You're in this vulnerable position and throughout your comedy, you're always having this, uh, these moments of vulnerability, whether you're talking about cheating or when you've talked about your DUI or when mm-hmm. you've talked about mm-hmm. loss. I know you've said you're done talking about the Oscar. I'm let's go talk. You All right, talk. cool. But I'm also not interested in relitigating that whole thing. I suggest anyone who has not heard you on Fresh Air. But I want you to, I want, this is a candid interview. Sure. Like I'm very, I have no problem with being candid and open. Like I think that's what I love about getting to the age that I'm at. Yeah. Like you, you really are okay with, with talking about what it is like there, like so many people just want to be a secret and, and yeah. want things to be confined and, and whatever. When I said, yo, I'm not talking about it anymore. It's because the reason for me being out and what I was supposed to be doing, I was supposed to be working on something else, but the conversation, if I didn't do that would have been shifted and geared towards this. Yeah, that makes and sense. now the attention to what people have worked hard for, it's taken away. Keep in mind, that's the whole reason of me stepping away from it in the beginning. <laughs> Keep in mind, like this, this is what I'm talking about. Like so many things yeah. can get lost and get misconstrued, but the attempt for good gets swept up with the look of bad because that's the perception that yeah. is being portrayed. That's all fair. I literally just, I want to point people to that interview because it's a time where you talked about it at length. And I think we are, ta- we have a lot of things to talk about. I don't mm-hmm. want to, but the thing that I, that as it relates to your standup, that was most, um, it was a very odd situation that mm-hmm. happened. Everything was, it happened really quickly. It was very odd. And the thing that I, as a person who's followed you, was sort of most surprised by or caught off guard by was, I know you as a sort of vulnerable comedian on stage. Mm-hmm. And this felt like a time where you're more defensive than you usually are mm-hmm. or how you sometimes can be not on stage. Mm-hmm. So the question for me is sort of, what is it about on stage where you feel... Or and maybe it seems even now that you're a little bit more comfortable off. But like, what is it about on stage where you're like, I'm willing to give more of myself than one might? Like, what about the on stage you feel more comfortable with than off stage? Well, you, I'm I'm comfortable off stage as well. Yeah, you know, it's 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 your therapy. Okay, so I told you earlier, I said, joke spark plug. These things, they're they're thoughts, they're random thoughts. Oh shit! Whoa! Oh my god, that might be funny. Yeah. And these spark plugs are things that you run with. Just like a musician gets a song. Oh my God, this is a great fucking hook right here. I want to live in a place where no people walk. When you thought about it, it was amazing. Yeah. But you put it down on the thing, "Ah, that doesn't sound that great. As a comedian, when you 
thing about it. It's the shit. So now I'm going to fucking put it out there. Now when I put it out there, the best thing that I'm hoping for is a laugh. If I get the laugh, oh, shit, it was dope. If I don't get the laugh, ah, that was ass. Yeah. So when people are asking questions about that time, that period, that joke, it's not that I'm defensive. I'm really looking at it as, guys, what do you, what do you want me to explain? Like, do you, I'm not, I don't feel like that. Yeah. That wasn't done in the malicious way to where I'm saying that this is what I'm going to do to my kid for real. It was an attempt to be funny. Today, I understand why people are like, that's not funny. He shouldn't say shit like that. You're absolutely right. I apologize for those that are offended. But hey, I don't want you guys to think that that's who I am. Which is why I went on this this big 10-year run of not doing that anymore. So it wasn't about not being comfortable. It was about me being frustrated with the fact that the 10-year change was instantly overlooked. Now, I can say within growth, within time and Mm -hmm. a moment to step away and it all passed by, those that may not look into the 10-year period as growth may be willing or looking for another round of that's not who I am and I'm sorry. Which, okay, I have to understand that. I have to acknowledge that. Okay, guys, I'm sorry. Yeah. But then I didn't say it right or it wasn't said with this and it wasn't said with that. So now, now you just get confused. So now I say, you know what? I'm going to step away from, I'm going to talk to somebody that I know because I know tons of people that are in this community. Yeah. Tons of friends. Hey, tell me what you feel I did wrong. Lee Daniels, Don Lemon, good friends. Hey, Kev, we just feel that you had an opportunity to say that you don't condone this type of Mm -hmm. violence towards anybody for being who they are. I said, but why, but why do you think I do Kevin? Because of this right here and you not coming out and talking about it correctly makes it look like you do. But I never said that I, that I do. It doesn't matter, Kevin. That's what we want to hear. We want to know, you know what point taken? I understand. Can I ask a question? This is to my friends. Why do you assume that I'm supposed to know that? Why do you assume that a man from North Philadelphia, 15th and Erie, who is not familiar at all with this world until I was introduced to Los Angeles, California? And even after coming out to Los Angeles, California... It's not like this is a circle that I run in. I just have people that I'm familiar with, that I have relationships with, that were cool as hell, and we're friends. Mm-hmm. But I'm not dive, I'm not, I'm not in deep to where I know of all the issues and problems that people have suffered from from being themselves. I'm not aware. So in this particular case, for my friends, why didn't you call me earlier and say that? Why wasn't that the call? Why wasn't it Kev? It ain't about that. People don't really think that that's you. This is an opportunity for you to speak up for so many others. Why didn't you say that then? Then my friends had to go, you're absolutely right. Maybe there was an assumption of what you're supposed to know. It shouldn't be because that's not where I'm from. That's not how I was raised. That's not what I've been around. So there's a level of understanding that has to come from everybody. But nobody wants to relax and breathe. Right now, we live in a time where it's cool 
to be angry, where it's cool to to just be irate. And what this showed me about not just me, but comedy, what this showed me is, wow, it is real easy to be insensitive on stage. Wow, it is real easy to say some hurtful shit on stage. It is real easy to do something for a laugh that can affect somebody else's life. Oh, shit. Whoa, when I read it, oh, ooh, fuck. That's bad. That's extremely bad. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Which is why I said I'll never do it again. And then I didn't. So for this period and this time and this particular incident, I'm not asking for the emotions to be buried behind the statement for others that that may have hit close. I'm asking for the understanding and acknowledgement of someone being ignorant to what is going on or what has been going on to simply think that his apology from old should have been good enough. That's, that's all, that's all you're looking at. You're not, you're literally not looking at anything else. You're looking at somebody thinking, guys, I said, I'm sorry. I thought, why isn't that good enough? Guys, I did this, this change. I thought we want to change. Why isn't that good enough? And then somebody going to care because that's not what it's about. And me going, oh, well, why didn't you tell me that? If you're my friend and you know me, why didn't you say it in the beginning? Now there's the understanding. So I ask in this particular time, when we're going and we're digging up these old incidents from other comics, I've seen several, you know, you go back, you're going to find the most racist shit ever told by some comedians. You're going to find homophobic slurs left and right. You're going to find damaging uh, words used to offend on purpose because comedians love to go for shock factor. Comedians love to go for what are people going to talk about when they leave? It's not out of malice. It's not malicious. They're doing it because they think this is the thing that they have to do to make it to the next step. It's not until you find out who you are and who you should constantly stay true to that you realize that you are going to evolve no matter what. You don't need it. And that clip with Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and um, oh Louis, Louis, and all of them. You know, when they were, uh, you know, they were saying nigga back and forth, and Seinfeld said, ah, "I'm not gonna say it because I don't need to say it to be funny." That was a regular conversation that they were having. Seinfeld hit you with some real honesty. I don't need that to be funny. There's some people that feel like they do. It's a crutch. It's a clutch. Yeah. You're holding on to it because you feel like you need it. It's no different from a comedian holding the mic stand because they got a nervous twitch and they don't want to let it go. Or a comedian that has a cord that's attached to his microphone and after every joke, he swipes and snatches the cord. Or a comedian that has a cigarette that's not lit or that's lit and that smokes that motherfucker away. Yeah. Dave Chappelle uses a cigarette as a timing mechanism so he knows how much time he's on stage. You don't know what these comedians have. Dealing with some damaged individuals. Yeah. And I'll say this in death was me breaking down that moment again. Not with a temper. No. Not with some anger behind the words. I don't think I can speak more logical than what I just did. So I'm hoping that any and everybody that listens to this can hear the logical approach to simply trying to make you understand both sides. This wasn't, it's, it, you know, people got to talk and it became a Kevin versus the Oscars thing. Not, not even hardly. I wish y'all could have been with me 
the day where I simply decided to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. This going to be too much because yeah. now if I step on the stage, I got to do this and I got it's going to be people there. It's not about that. And the carpet going to be about that. I'm sorry. I'm just very familiar with the entertainment business. I'm familiar with journalism. I'm no stranger to being in hot water. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there before. I've uh, <laughs> I actually burnt my hand quite <laughs> quite a few times. So I I know I know the consequences that go along with, you know, with basically turmoil or or bad shit. So uh in this particular case, man, I can say I'm happy that I have the friends that I have, that I learned, that I've grown and on stage you will see me talk about this. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Are you excited to talk about it? Of course. The conversation that me and Lee Daniels had was a serious one, but I can find funny in everything. The conversation, the realization, and the conclusion. It's just like a joke. Yeah. If I don't talk about it, I'm leaving an incomplete story to the people that have followed me the most. I've never not talked about anything. And, you know, this is a pivotal moment in my life and in my career. So it it will be on stage. But once again, there won't be anything malicious behind it. It'll be about me. It'll be like about my take on on what happened, my opinion and my realization. There's going to be funny in it. Yeah. And I'm going to make people laugh at it. No matter what. That's that's what I do. I've done it with everything. My mom's funeral. I've done it with my dad and his drug addiction. I've done it with my kids and, and my ex-wife and our split up. And when one of the most toughest times ever was me and my kids, when I fucking left the house and I had them there, but I talked about it. That's my therapy. If I don't talk about it, I don't fix it. So to prepare for this interview, I watched all your specials back to back to back. Sorry. Wait, you're saying sorry for me to do this or sorry? No, I'm just saying sorry. Just because oh, cool. you didn't you didn't have a good time. You no, be, it's great. I mean, I it's one of those people that's like, yeah, man, fuck that. He getting ass. <laughs> um, but and I don't know if anyone else is doing this for any other reason, but let's say someone were to do it, watch watch all your stand-up back to back, and including maybe where you're ever going, what would you hope a person thought? What did you hope they would see about you, Kevin, as a stand-up and you, Kevin, as a person from watching all of your special? If you watch all my specials back to back. That you should see the the level of genius that I'm trying to put on display. I'm writing a another book on stage. Mm-hmm. You're you're witnessing my life. You're witnessing me grow and go through all of this shit and maintain a high level of truism of being me. If you go look at grown little man, just look at the titles. I'm a grown little man. This is when I was little and I was like, this is, this is, I'm grown. Like I'm, I just got married. I got two fucking kids. Like this is, this is it. This, I'm ready to go into this next, this next stage of of manhood. Okay. Now, after I got there, I got there from doing what? I got there from, from being funny. I got there from stand up. Now I'm, I'm hearing people say like, yo man, Oh man, he's he's all right. He's he's not that funny. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! No, guys, I'm funny. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, guys, I'm funny. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this this special is about proving that I am seriously funny. So here are the new things that I'm going through in my life that are elevated. Look into who I really am, so you can understand that I'm serious. Like I'm I'm here, and I'm serious about being funny. Like this is this is not going anywhere. Oh fuck. God damn it. I'm depressed. 
Oh, shit, I lost my mom. I'm so goddamn close to my mom. My dad was being a jackass, and I got to really look and dive into the things that he did or didn't do, man. Ah, I need to go get on stage. I'm getting on stage. I'm realizing that I'm not afraid to talk about the things that have me down. The things that not necessarily put me in a dark cave, but just that, you know, really just made me go, damn, man, there's a lot of things that I wish had have been different. Damn, I wish that I would have done this with my mom or that this would have been this way. I wish that me and my dad would have done this. Damn. I'm going to make you laugh at my pain. This is the first time I'm actually going through some pain. You know what? I'm going to put it on display. Laugh at it. It's the only thing you can do because you choose to be depressed at it. Mm-hmm. doesn't get any better. That cloud just stays with you. So it's not until you figure out a way to get that shit off of you, off of your shoulders, Do you have a different approach and a different walk? Laugh at my pain. God damn it. I feel so much better. You know what? I'm back to me again. God damn it. I'm making a little bit more money. Life is getting a little more better. I'm out here in LA. Oh, I done did some dumb shit. I done did a bunch of stupid shit. God damn it, Kevin. All these people looking at me like I'm crazy because of the dumb shit I done did. I done DUI'd it. I done (laughs) fucking... Now they on my ass because I got a new woman in my life and everybody talking. All right, well, let, well hold on now before y'all start judging me. Let me explain. Let me explain. Now, what up, man? That's my son. Everybody, would, they far behind you doing no? I'm doing an interview, so don't don't sit in crazy. It ain't going to be much longer. Um, so now, now that you've let me explain, now I should be good now. I should be, but I feel like everybody was was now saying, "Man, look at him! Look at how he's evolving! Look how he's how he's developed!" Hold on, sure, they gonna come in. Come on in, and don't come in all loud and crazy. I gotta do this interview. Give me peace. Hello. Hey, bro. That's my wife. Hello. That's my chef. Who else is there? Where where the baby at? What? Can you order a scooter? Please. You just got here. I know, but like, we want to go to our secret spot. What secret spot? It better not be in the woods. <gasps> no. Where y'all at? We heard something, so we don't go in the woods. Hey, did you eat? Look at me. Let me see your eyes. I had Popeyes. Look at me. Let me see your eyes. Stand right here. Stand right here. Did you no. eat? Because you're lying. Yes, did you I eat? Had That's why you're laughing. Did you eat? <laughs> Huh? Did you eat your Popeyes? Yes. You're a liar, dude. <laughs> Babe, did he eat? He just ate fries and a biscuit. See that? I'm body. As soon as I get outside, I'm on your ass. All right. Get out. Here you go, but you're impatient. Because I only got, I don't got time to do this. All right. Don't let them hear you arguing here. <laughs> let them hear I said, give me a kiss. Come here. Goodbye. You got my baby in the car. No respect. See what I'm saying? She got it. She got it. We're up to what, what we're now? We're up to right now. So, so now. So what now happens now we're up to So now what now, and the reason why what now came about was just, you know, it was a question of I've done so many things. Um, you know, the, the stand up has now brought some fame. Um, the tour was extremely big. My, my, let me explain tour. 
And after those numbers, you know, I know the conversation was, well, what is he going to do now? Is that it? Is he done? And I said, well, when you hear what now, you should put on display with what your what now answer would be. Mm-hmm. And in my life at that time, that was when the the new marriage was was stamped. That was when a new level of movie star was put into play. You know, a lot of doubts and beliefs and questions were answered and the talent had spoken for itself and the box office uh, revenue and attendance spoke for the hard work that was being put in the brand behind who I, who I, who I was slash am was put in a position to evolve and grow because I wanted to do more. So the what now was about showing how to take advantage of a moment where that star is shining and you basically are going to put other stars in position to shine around you so that your star can shine for a long time. Um, That's what that special was about. And, you know, it brings us to the current time where just when you're on top of the world and it looks like everything is golden, you know, you still show that uh, you are you and you, there's a high level of dummy in there. And, you know, as much as I would love to say it, you can't escape the dummy. You can, you can control the dummy. You can smarten up the dummy to where the dumb guy only rears his head you know, once every blue moon and the dumb activity is now lessened into smarter dumb things. But it comes with the education of how dumb dumb is. I saw you once mentioned, you say it was the, your darkest hour. Mm-hmm. What, in what way do you mean that? This is my darkest hour simply because this is where I caused the most pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I caused the most pain with the things that happened in this hour. Not that... You know, getting divorced from my first wife wasn't pain because you can never speak for another person and another person's emotion. But that was more of a separation and a decision that uh, I made to to move on. I needed to get away from that. Um, And I know because of me wanting to get away from that, that could have brought hurt, of course, to her. So I'm never going to be ignorant to that and, and not be understanding to that. That's, that's not who I am. Um, but in this particular case, the woman that, you know, I'm in love with and that I feel has changed my life for the better in so many different ways, you know, I publicly humiliated. I, I, I fucked up at the, the highest level of fucking up. And what you realize is that when you are going through things and you uh, consider yourself a a very strong individual, sometimes that strength that you have and that you put on display gets projected out differently than what you think it may be. So I think a lot of people around me um, got the butt in of what I was going through. And at the time, you know, I'm filming my first movie underneath my company name. You know, this shit hit the fan when night school was in production. I'm supposed to be on cloud nine right now. I'm going through the fucking craziest thing ever while shooting night school at the same time I'm producing and shooting a movie. It's, it's literally for me, the, the toughest thing. And you know, my, my kids were at an age where they could talk 
you know, the the real tough thing about that moment was having to talk to my daughter, you know, having to have a real conversation with my daughter about her dad's dumb ways and my daughter being smart enough to, you know, say how she feels. And you have to listen to that. There's, it was a compound. It was so many different things that were in there, you know, so many levels of uh, what I would like to call irresponsible behavior. When going through these things, you don't just let it roll off your back. You talk about it. And for me, that's my therapy. My therapy is allowing people to, to see and understand that you're never going to have anything on me that I'm not going to say myself. And if you do, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. I don't care. Like you, you, you have one life. So I don't live my life for others. I live it for me. And when you are okay with being that open book, then you're okay with the, the consequences that come with it. And unfortunately for, for us, the times that we're in and the lives that we're living at this point and with our generation going in the direction that it's going in and social media being at an all-time high, you know, what we fall in love with is negativity. Mm-hmm. And eventually it'll get back to where we fall in love with positive and, and celebrating positive. But right now, in this particular time, we love to see bad things. So you... Uh... So talk about what you're now going towards your next hour. I heard you once say you think it might be a controversial hour. Hundred percent will be, uh, and where you'll the the good guy will flip to a bad guy. Well, what that mean as we now just sort of walked through your arc that you sort of have in this particular time. There's there's so many people that are afraid to say anything because of the consequences that come with saying X, Y, or Z. Um, I'm not going to be disrespectful. But I am going to talk about me and what I'm realizing about me in the times today. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I have to maneuver now because of everything that I went through? How does the guy that can't go out without a phone or camera being in his face or somebody ready to tell somebody that they saw me somewhere? How do I now live? How have I had to adapt? And what are my feelings on said topics because of the way that I had to adapt. Now, how am I raising my kids based on this? What do my kids go through at school and what do people think about their dad? My youngest baby now that I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with, what the fuck am I teaching him based off of my lessons that my older kids are going to either go along with or go dad full of shit right there. Don't listen to that because dad did this. I'm now in a position to talk about growth, to talk about uh, mistakes, and talk about the current times. And when you talk about the current times, you're not talking about it in a way to where you're dealing with news, politics, or whatever. You're talking about you and the way that you're living in today's times. My most controversial hour will be in a Kevin hart is way. Mm-hmm. But 100% you can expect me to address things that people would not expect me to. These these are sort of amorphous terms, but you talk a lot about sort of where you want your the name to last and your legacy. Would you, would you rather people say Kevin Hart, he was the biggest comedian of the 21st century, or Kevin Hart, he was the best comedian of the 21st century? 
I mean, you can't get into what you want people to say. I just told you, I don't, I don't live my yeah. life for others. You know, I'm, I'm about me. I'm about, I'm about putting the work in. And when it's all said and done, knowing that I did everything that I possibly could to leave it all on the table and no way, shape or form am I ever going to be Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Cause there's only one Eddie Murphy or no way, shape or form am I ever going to be Richard Pryor. There's only one Richard Pryor. When you talk about the goats of comedy, I don't know who else comes up, but those two names are always there. Dave Chappelle, he's always going to be in that discussion. Chris Rock, I was going to be in that discussion. Those are the names that I know no matter what get bought up. Cat Williams, regardless of his personal life, his name gets bought up. Cat Williams had one of the funniest specials of all time. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. I don't care what my personal feelings are towards them. I'm not going to deny the business side of it and the the logic behind stand-up comedy. That's pound for pound. It's one of the funniest comedy specials that I've ever seen. Those conversations will always be conversations, but they have no effect on me and what I'm doing. So the Kevin Hart conversation hopefully will be a conversation where it puts me in the lane of my own. Yeah. All I can say is my resume speaks for itself and numbers don't lie. Their level of consistency doesn't lie. So, you know, the opinion and feelings of all, I don't have the time to to care. I only have the time to do. Mm-hmm. After Irresponsible, the question is, what the fuck am I going to do next? What What's the end game? Mm-hmm. Where When it's all said and done, my portfolio will be one that I will forever be proud of. And when you look back at it, you're going to say, that was a bad motherfucker, man. (laughs) So that sound means it's time for our final segment. It's called the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a laughing round. Okay. Um, Ha! (laughs) No, I jumped it. Okay, go ahead. Do you have a favorite joke joke? Street joke? Street joke. Uh, Yes, this is one my daughter told me. Very, very funny joke. How do you make a napkin dance? How? Put a little boogie in it. It's a great joke. Um, do you have a joke you wish you could steal? Not sort of steal, like, it's a, a joke another comedian has that you wish that you had in your act, and it's always yours, and you'll always be yours. No one will yell at you. It's a different dimension, but it's you, but now with this joke. the I think one of the funniest jokes ever told is, in my opinion, Eddie Murphy talking about his dad and how his dad used to get drunk and cuss everybody out at the house, you know? Tell everybody to kiss his ass. This is my house. You know, you can tell he talk about the people. Let me tell you something, motherfucker. You can you don't like it, you get the fuck out of my house. Like the the drunk voice. Everything about that performance, like that showed me that, you know, there's punchlines within the character. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't necessarily have a bunch of punchlines through the joke. He was a character, and that character made people laugh. He turned into his dad. And you watch it, you learn so much. But just just all of those funny beats from Eddie Murphy becoming and talking about his father, some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen. One of the most impressive things I've ever seen was I was at the Justin Bieber roast, the mm-hmm. taping, and... For those who don't know, we've in, uh, I did an episode with Nikki Glaser where we talked about the roast, and they uh, the energy is bad. Uh-huh. So someone does a set, and then energy dies. Oh, my God. And what you did, and I've talked to other comedians about how amazing it was, they're like, okay, we're back in 10, and in yes. that 10 seconds, yes. that's when I learned so much about you as like a the superpower you mm-hmm. have. What do you remember from that? I just remember the jokes, like, they were just, some of them were just truly... 
Like they were bad. Like I had a, like the biggest the biggest task for me was making sure that Justin was cool. Mm-hmm. And it was about me making fun of the awfulness through the show because there were some performances where people were just like what. <laughs> Who and I ain't gonna say names, but I remember there was one comic yeah, well, everyone, that performed. Yeah, and I, was I know. Like, I said, "What the fuck just happened?" And I mean, literally silence. Yeah, it was. It was really, really silence. Bad. And I remember I had to get up there and I was like, "Hey, look, they all ain't gonna be good." I remember that's exactly what I said. I was like, "They all ain't gonna be good." All right, there's a. That's just that's just the nature of the business, okay? Mm-hmm. Now we're not gonna judge this whole night off of a couple performances. So let's just move on. Down, we're gonna energize, we're gonna get it back up. It's, it was funny. You talk about yourself as a product of your mother and uh, and her strictness and her rule following and your dad, who is sort of the opposite. What is one joke of yours you think they represents them or you think they would like? I know your mom because of the cursing didn't necessarily see her, but mm-hmm. like if you sort of put one joke of yours per parent that sort of represents what do you think they would like or what what do you think would be? My mom, I cuss way too much, man. I cuss way. I would have conversations so much about just me and my mouth with my mom. You know, why you need to talk like that? You can't say the same stuff without cuss. Like my mom's favorite comedian is Sinbad. Yeah. Um, that's just, that used to be her example for that. Sinbad don't cuss. <laughs> and he does three hours. Yeah, Sinbad don't cuss. Why can't you be more like Sinbad? Sinbad ain't out there cussing up a storm. You out there act like you ain't got no damn home training. Like So for my mom, I don't know. The funniest thing about my dad is just the misconception of what he actually did. Like, I remember I told one joke. And it was about my dad being on drugs. He's like, why are you up there talking about me? Like, I was on drugs. I was like, nigga, he was. He's like, yeah, but not like you saying it. Yes, you were, dad. <laughs> You were like, what, what, what? Why would that ever upset? It ain't making me mad. I'm saying you just, I ain't making it seem like I was gonna crack, nigga. That, that's <laughs> you were, Dad. Yeah, I know that, but I mean, you acting like it was crack, crack. What? All right, forget it, Dad. Forget it. Do you have a joke that never worked? You've tried it a bunch of times. Oof. You'll go to your grave thinking it's funny. So not something you've done Jesus. on special, but something that you're I like mean, that one what? has a spot in your heart, but you'll you know the audiences don't. Don't Man, I don't know where you want the list to start. You think it's one? I mean, I can. Well, do you have one that's your favorite? Jesus Christ. Uh, some about jokes that don't work. God damn. Uh, with anything that I'm developing, I, I can get it to work. Yeah. I'm going to look at my notes. So for those listening, I basically go and I have a new jokes page where I like just write out just basically jokes. Okay. All right. I got one. I was trying to make a joke about poopery. And just like whoever made poopery went through something like it to invent poopery. You went in the bathroom after somebody that put the worst level of shit smell on the planet. Like for you to go back and say, I'm going to fucking make something that, that no matter what takes away the smell of shit. <laughs> You went through something that's like that's catastrophic. Like <laughs> you have like, drama that you're yeah, working. Drama, through. and I just, I just, I, I gave up one because I was like, it's just so. I'm just talking about. Ultimately, it's just a shit joke, and I was like, I guess I can't talk about it. But it's like, I mean, it's such a good like the topic of of what that individual smelled. Like this is not. This was a conversation. Like you know, this is. We need something that we can put in the bathrooms after. <laughs> 
<laughs> after what the fuck I smelled this weekend. You know how many people are probably going through the same thing that I went through? And so I was like, I got it. <laughs> Let's call it poopery. <laughs> what? <laughs> Think about it. Like puree, you know, puree, like the 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 stuff that you the good stuff. Poo. <laughs> what? Like I had a whole, I had a whole. I was like, Nah, I ain't doing that shit. That's too much. <laughs> the end. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that the time. Thank this you is so much. Be great. That's it for another episode of Good One. Kevin Hart's Irresponsible premieres on Netflix on April second. Follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin For Real. Good One is produced by Mike Comte with production help from Dante Hodge and research assistance from Matthew Silver. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write, review, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them, what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back soon with a new season and new jokes. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.